Well, uh, today we are going on a road trip, and what I would like you to do is to imagine that you're on a church bus and I'm driving it, okay? I think we have a picture of it right there. Some of you are petrified already, I can tell. Uh, But we're on this church bus, okay, and we're driving, and uh, what I want you to know is on this road trip, we're going to go on one particular interstate, uh, E5 and E6, which is Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, and uh, we're going to go through that. We're actually going to go over 32 verses today, so um, if you didn't bring your pillow, use your neighbor, you know, um, but uh, it may be that, but... But honestly, I don't think you're going to fall asleep and everything's going to be just fine because the very first stop that we have is this, a bar. And uh, our very first bar here, and it's not just any bar, folks, but it's the Jar Bar, okay? So uh, some of you might have not been aware, but we actually have a little side business and uh and we, uh, you know, are taking the proceeds from the liquor and we're uh, actually helping with our community basket where we serve, uh, you know, people in our community. Don't believe that. Okay, that's all a lie. We Don't send emails. We don't do that, all right? But uh, actually, this bar is a real bar. It's in Queens, New York. And so this is going to be our first stop uh, that we have. And the stop is actually going to focus on one particular word, and that is alcohol, okay? So aren't you glad you came to church today, right? Um, And uh, we're going to pull up to this bar outside of Queens, and we're going to have a conversation. Uh, We're going to go inside the bar, sit at the tables, and we're going to talk until we figure out exactly what Paul meant when he said these words. Do not get drunk with wine or any alcohol, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you may have grown up in a a home and a religious environment like I did, in which Christianity was seen as an anti-alcohol kind of faith. Uh, This was the way that I was raised. Uh, My mom did not drink. My dad did not drink. In fact, my mom often, uh, you know, would say this. Well, Chris, the reason, you know, you shouldn't drink is if you you don't take the first drink, you'll never have to take the what? The last one, right? And uh, on top of that, everyone that went to the church where my dad pastored, uh, they kind of were the same way. Most people didn't drink any alcohol either. And I can't tell you the number of sermons that I sat under where it basically was don't drink. But then I became a pastor, and I started actually reading the Bible, and one of the things that I learned very quickly is that Jesus and his disciples drank wine almost every single day. And so then I was like, well, what's really up with this? And so then I learned that in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, every time they would have ceremonies, or uh, some kind of, uh, you know, festival, uh, wine was like a central part of everything that they were doing. And then when Jesus actually shared uh, the sacrament of Holy Communion, he used what? Wine. And then the kicker came in seminary 
when I was asked to uh, discern and to study Jesus' first miracle, where he took 120 gallons of water and he turned them into some of the finest wine because at this wedding, everyone had already drunk it all. So to say that I was a little bit confused when I became a pastor would be an understatement. I mean, I was raised in this one tradition that said don't drink, but the Bible just didn't say that. So I want to ask you this question this morning, and it's this, should serious-minded Christ followers drink alcohol or not? Now, I thought what we would do is we would stay in the bar jar, or the jar bar. Uh, see, I've had one too many already. So uh, that we would go to the jar bar, and uh, we would just sit at the tables until we finally settle this once and for all, and we're going to have a church-wide vote on what this question is. I'm not going to do that, okay? We're, we're not going to do that. But let's look at this verse again, and I want you to ask yourself, what is prohibited? What is restricted? Is it drinking or is it getting drunk? Well, not only in the, uh, this verse, but throughout the Bible, drunkenness is consistently forbidden time and time again. Moderate drinking of alcohol is typically throughout the Bible allowed to happen. Now, as a Bible teacher, I could say, hey, I told you, we read this scripture, I told you what it means, and we could just move on. The problem is, I'm not just a Bible teacher, but I'm also a pastor, and I have some thoughts on this particular issue or this topic of alcohol. My uh, sister, at the age of 18, uh, went off to college to a uh, small liberal arts college up in northern Indiana, and she was looking forward to a new adventure and uh, what her life was going to be like. And the very first weekend, she drank so much alcohol that she passed out. And then this continued to go on for several weekends until a couple months into school, my dad got a phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning, the kind of phone call that, as a parent, you never want to receive, and had said that my sister had somehow drank so much alcohol that she had gone out to State Road 13 and had passed out in the middle of the highway. And a uh, farmer was going at a pretty high speed. And he said, I saw something, but it was so late. And he kind of dodged her and put the truck over into the ditch. And then he kind of picked Lisa up, put her off to the side, called 911. She was arrested. She was kicked out of school. And... She went to a treatment center up in Elkhart, Indiana, called the Oakland Center. And our whole family went, and we were a part of this as well. And the struggle that I have is that it would have been so easy for her to be killed. She could have lost her very life. 
then I think of a funeral that I had of a man who drank a whole bunch of alcohol, then got a gun, and committed suicide. And I think that could have been my sister. I think of a young man in our high school that I was at who got behind a wheel, drank, was in an accident, and died. Did you realize, folks, that 30% of all traffic fatalities is alcohol-related? 30% of every fatality is alcohol-related. Now, folks, as your pastor, I want you to know that I'm not above pleading with any of you to simply say, why not make a promise today before God and your family and your church family that you will never, ever drink and drive? Sometimes you have to make a decision on this because sometimes things get loose. You're like, well, I I think I only had two. I I think I'm good. I think I'm okay. And then all of a sudden something's different. So I just want to ask you, will you make a commitment before God to never drink and drive? And if you ever have a concern that maybe I had one or two too many, that you'll pick up the phone and you'll call a friend, you'll call a taxi, you'll call an Uber, call me, call someone, just don't stay in the car. And I know we have some students that are here today. Maybe you're in middle school, high school, you're in college. Um, I want you to know that the legal kind of drinking age is 21. And there's a uh, scripture in Romans 13 that says, we are to obey our government officials and the laws of the land. So can I ask you guys, you're here today, out of reverence for Christ, that you would just say, not until I'm 21, and even then you don't have to make that choice. It's a choice you can make. But you'll say that I will not do that until I'm 21. And and students, let me tell you this, because it happens all the time. If you have a friend or the person that is driving you has had a drink, don't get in the car. Call your parents. They get mad at you. Call me, and I'll get mad at them. Because the reality is it's such an epidemic of our, our uh, young people losing lives because they get in the wrong car. So please, please, never do that. Now, again, let me say this. Alcohol isn't evil. We should not demonize alcohol. But Paul says, That if you get drunk, it leads to something. He actually says it leads to debauchery. Now now that just sounds bad, right? Uh, Debauchery. Like it sounds ugly. Well, basically what that word means is this. It means bad decisions and bad behavior. Every time a person gets drunk, I'm telling you, what it will lead to eventually is bad decisions and bad behavior. My wife is a uh, physician, and for seven years of her career, she's been in the emergency room. And one day I just, uh, I was studying for this, and I wanted to know. I was like, hey, babe, I was like, you know, when you've been in the ER, like, how many times 
um, you know, has alcohol been related to battery cases, um, you know, shootings that happened, that stabbings that took place, that any kind of misbehavior, like, you know, criminal misbehavior. How many times is alcohol kind of related? And she, like, looked at me like, you're an idiot. She goes, are you kidding me, Chris? I was like, no, I'm doing this teaching, you know, in, in September. And she's like, Chris, it's like all the time. Almost every single time alcohol or some drug is used when there's some kind of violent crime. Almost all the time. Folks, booze often leads to bad decisions and bad behavior when we abuse it. Um, any of you country music fans here? Anyone a country music fan? Okay, a few. Um, and uh, so uh, basically there's this guy named Brad Paisley. Anybody Brad Paisley fan? Okay. Uh, he does all these commercials with uh, Peyton Manning on Nationwide Insurance. And uh, he actually uh, wrote a song one time to kind of make fun of some of his uh, fans who were uh, drinking too much. And uh, it's kind of a clever song. He entitled it Alcohol. And what it was all about was basically to uh, have alcohol as the first person. So do you know what I'm saying with that, okay? It's like alcohol's singing the song, okay? And uh, I looked at it, and let me share just a couple of uh, verses of this, okay? This is what he wrote. I can make anyone pretty. <laughs> Remember, this alcohol talking. I can make anyone pretty. I can make you believe any lie. I can make you pick a fight with somebody twice your size because I'm alcohol. Next verse. I've been known to cause a few breakups. I've been known to cause a few births. I can make you new friends or get you fired from work because I'm alcohol. And now, here's the big movement okay the big chorus here it comes and since the day that i left milwaukee lynchburg and bordeaux france i've been making the bars lots of money and helping white people to dance i got you in trouble in high school and college that was a ball you had some of your best times you'll never remember with me because I'm alcohol. Now, I just want to ask you, where do you get teaching like this? Huh? So just in summarizing everything that we said, you can drink alcohol. The Bible does not forbidden, forbid it at all. But don't get drunk because it always leads to bad decisions and bad behavior. And then the verse actually goes on. He, he says, don't do this. Instead, Paul says, be Filled with the what? What's it say? The Holy Spirit. He says, hey, if you want to get filled with something, just get filled with the Holy Spirit. Guzzle it down. Drink a gallon of it. Bottoms up. Because you will never regret being filled with the peace and the power and the presence of God's Spirit. Drink from the tap all day long. It's free. All night. All day. And it will give you fantastic decisions and godly behavior. You'll never worry about getting trashed with the Holy Spirit. 
do it again and again on a regular basis because it's the best choice. So uh, we're at the jar bar. We're going to have to leave this, and we're going to have to leave. We're going to get back on the bus uh, together, and we're actually heading. I'm still driving. Okay, I didn't, uh, I didn't drink too much, all right? And, uh, you know, I'm good. And so we're driving the bus back. We're all going together. And we're leaving Queens, and we're coming back to Muncie. And we're going to pull up the church bus uh, to this place right here, Emmons Auditorium. How many of you have ever been to Emmons before? Yeah, sure. Uh, love that place. Great concerts, shows, plays, events that take place. Really cool. Well, uh, they've done a lot of remodeling to this on the outside. It's really uh, amazing. And then when you get on the inside, it's just magnificent, just how big and uh, spectacular uh, it is. Well, we're going to go ahead and we're going to sit in one of those seats together. And it's a perfect place for us to try to figure out the next thing that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 5. And it's singing. Uh, We're going to talk about singing. And here's the verse uh, that we're going to look at. So singing's your fill-in that you can put there. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, basically, what this verse is saying is that Christianity has been and always will be a singing faith. From Genesis to Revelation, what you find are people that are encouraged to sing, to play instruments, and to worship God. In the Old Testament, in all of the celebrations and festivals that they would have, they would have days and days where God's people would sing and play uh, musical instruments praising God uh, throughout that entire piece. And in the New Testament, Jesus, after they've had the Last Supper, he actually says, hey guys, let's get together and let's do some singing before we go off to our separate ways. Now, corporate singing or worshiping together all at once is something that we do, but this passage itself actually talks about a sense of individual worship. He says this, he says, sing and make what? Music in your what? In your heart. He says, do that in the Lord. Make music individually in your heart. Now, Caleb and our band are amazing. Aren't they great? Let's give Caleb and... uh, All our guys that do that a hand, if you see them today, make sure you thank them because they get here really early and they stay late and they do that to create an atmosphere for you. And uh, when they lead worship, whenever we're worshiping God, we should have a real sense that we are only going to give God our best when we're worshiping. So that's why I always tell people when you come here and we're singing, don't talk to the person beside you. Because God's only ever given you his best, why not give him your best? And that we would get here on time so we can enjoy the music and we can celebrate in the midst of that. But beyond all of that, Paul is poking at something, and it's our next question, and it's this. How often do you make music to God in your heart throughout the day? How often do you 
If you're a Christ follower, make music with God with your heart throughout the day. I mean, just between you and God. Well, a few months ago, uh, I kind of switched up uh, my devotional time, my quiet time with God. Typically, I always uh, get the Bible out, which you should too, and I'll read a passage and then I reflect on it for a little bit. I'll journal and write some notes down and I'll do my prayer and I'll write my prayer out and then I was done. And what I noticed was I was kind of just going through the routine doing this kind of thing, but I wasn't really taking a moment where my heart would be open to the things of God. And part of that is uh, many times I'm a head guy. Uh, In other words, I have a lot of things that go on through my day. I've got staff meetings and budget meetings, meetings with volunteers and counseling people and helping folks. And so it's a lot of stuff that I'm just kind of doing within my head, figuring out schedules. And I started noticing that I just hadn't been moved in my heart by God. So I know for some of you, you're a manager, you're a leader, you're a a coach at your workplace. And sometimes maybe you get in your head too, and, and maybe you don't do any kind of quiet time. You need to do that. But if you do, the reality is you just kind of go through the motions. You read your devotion. You say a quick prayer, it's all, and then you're back in your head. And so I realized that I had to slow down, and so what I did was I picked a song, which I've done before, but I usually pick multiple songs, but I just picked one song. And over the past two months, I've listened to this song regularly, almost every single day. I listened to it this morning. And I listened to the song, and I allow my heart to be open to the things of God, and the song title is called Abba, I Belong to You. You know, when Jesus would teach or preach or he would talk to God, there's many times that he uses this word called Yahweh, which actually is kind of a formal, kind of remote, in the sense that God is distant and, big, and he's bigger and greater and he's beyond anything. But when he's in the garden, he actually changes the name of who he refers to and he calls his father Abba which that word means daddy an intimate closeness with your dad uh, almost like sitting on his lap in that close connection so Caleb right now is going to lead us in giving you a gift today of Abba, I belong to
I'd spent so many months just like in my head. And when I listened to that song for the first time, I was like, God, I need that. And so I would just keep listening to it over and over as a discipline in my quiet time and throughout the day. Because I realized that my dad's 82, and there's not a... uh, day that usually goes by that I don't pick up the phone or he calls me, and we're close, but I realize that there's going to be a time when he's not here, and some of you know what that's like. You've lost your father, and what I want to know is that when my earthly father is not here anymore, that I can say, Abba, I belong to you. I belong to you. And so I want to challenge you to think about a song for this season of your life. I don't know what the season is that you're going through, but for me, this has been kind of my theme song. And just for this season, that you would pick a song and you would listen to it every day. Maybe you listen to it multiple times so that it actually gets in your heart and not just in your head. You'd listen to it again and again and again. When you wake up in the morning, uh, you listen to it. You go take a shower, you turn it on. When you're getting dressed, when you get in the car and you're heading to work, when you're at work at lunchtime, when you're heading back, that the song actually takes something within you to move you in a powerful way. Because I needed to remember that Abba, I belong to you. 
I'll always belong to you. So we're at Emmons Auditorium, but, uh, you know, the bus has to continue on, and so uh, we're going to get back on uh, the bus eventually, and we're going to uh, move on uh, to something that uh, is interesting, and it's a, a particular word at our next stop, and our next stop is the word submit, okay, which I know you all love that word, right? Uh, don't, don't jump off the bus, uh, don't throw me under the bus, okay, but this is what we're going to talk about. So the word is submit, and this is our verse in Ephesians 5.21, submit to who? What's it say? To submit to one another, uh, why? Out of what? Reverence for who? For Christ, that we submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Now, the next 20 verses in Ephesians 5 and 6 are specific instructions on how spouses should treat each other, how parents should treat their children, how children should treat their parents, how supervisors should treat their workers, and how workers should treat their supervisors. And I strongly encourage you, uh, sometime this week, start in 521, and you'll go through 611 and just kind of read uh, all of those. And if you do this, um, it will help and impact all of your relationships. But the bus is going to be pulling out, and now we're going to go to a typical home uh, that's for Muncie or Delaware County or all of East Central Indiana. Uh, you've probably seen a home like this. And I'd like you to look at this home because we're going to pull our bus up to the curb, but we're not going to go inside. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to reflect on Paul's words. I mean, what is Paul saying when he says that every relationship you have that's in that house, in that house, every relationship would prove significantly if you simply submitted to one another. If everyone in this house, in your house, everyone underneath this roof would simply submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, what does that mean? It means that when I walk into my house, I regularly lay down my rights and my privileges. We regularly lay down our titles, our authority, our presumed kind of importance, and then we humbly serve every single person who is in that house. I'm simply reminding you, the reason why we do this is because the one, if you're a Christ follower, the one that you have named to serve, Jesus Christ, actually humbly kind of submitted himself and took away his title and authority to serve other people. He only ever chose to serve. The second person of the Trinity, God's one and only Son, left heaven to come to earth so that you and I would be served by him. He gave up his rights. He gave up his privileges to serve you. And then he went to a cross ultimately to die so that all of our sins could be forgiven. So here's what Paul is saying. 
out of reverence for Christ, for the one who did this amazing submission kind of thing for me, would you consider laying down your rights and your privileges to be able to serve another humbly? It's like, mind-blowing. This one little tiny verse in Ephesians. So let me ask you this question. Would you consider walking into your home and serving every person in it? Would you humbly consider walking into your home and serving each person? You know, one of the things, folks, is that we live in a time where it's all about my rights. What are my rights, my privileges, my authority? I need to be taken care of. And Paul says, if you live that way, it's crazy. It's going to destroy your family. It's going to destroy your workplace, parent-child relationships, marriage relationships. It will be destroyed. I've shared uh, this with you before, but there was a season of my life where when I would walk into um, our home, I just wasn't willing to submit to anyone. I wanted to be the center. And so what I finally did was I put up a uh, piece of paper on our garage door that leads into our house, and this is what it says. Best man, husband, father, kneel and pray. And each time I walk in there, I do that. I I say, God, I want to be the best man. I want to be the best husband. I want to be the best father I can be. And I pray. Because I know on the other side of that door are three women who I live with. And it could be a totally different experience on the other side of that door. And so uh, I want to be able to walk in and have a serving talent. How can I serve? And and sometimes I submit well. Uh, Last night, for instance, Jen, uh, who's the model of serving in our house, uh, made a whole bunch of chocolate chip cookie bars. And no one wanted to go get the chocolate chip cookie bars to us who were watching America's Got Talent, okay? We, uh, We don't really watch much TV, but that's one that we do, and we go through all the commercials, and we never watch it live. So don't tell me who got kicked off, because we're not there. So I cut all the cookies, and I come, and I I had them on a plate, and I served everyone. We had some of their friends over, and I served them too. Now, I'd love to say that I do that all the time, but sometimes, even when I see that sign, I see that sign, and I go, but I'm the man. Like, I'm the man of the house. And woman, go get me some food, you know, and like, I've had a long day, and and do something for me, and you kids, quit whining and moaning and grabbing. Go to your rooms. Leave me alone. And then you serve me too, you know. And sometimes that's the way it can be. But I realize that every single time in my life that I have chosen to submit and humble myself and give up my title, that the work environment, the community environment, the environment of our church is better When we do it that way. So here's my challenge for you. I want you to practice submitting in your home. How can you outserve the other people? 
in your workplace, when you go in there tomorrow. Don't demand your rights and what you have. How could you submit to be able to do that? I'm telling you folks, if you do this, your environment will change. Your house will change. All will change if you do this. Okay, one last stop, and we're going to head to this next place. And uh, it's simply a picture at the Washington, D.C. Naval Yard. Now, you might be asking me, but Bunch, why are you showing a picture like that at church? I mean, here's an armed guard. Why are you doing that? Because the next thing that we're going to talk about is spiritual battle. Spiritual battle. Uh, Paul reminds us that our battle really isn't against the people in our house or the people we work with or the people in our community, but there's a bigger spiritual battle going on. And Paul says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. Look at that again. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, Paul is not the only one that says, hey, I understand this concept of spiritual battle. Jesus actually talked about this as well, and this is what he said. He said the evil one comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He said that there is an evil one, and he has a plan, he has a strategy, and his strategy is to steal, kill, and destroy you, your family, your community. And Peter, uh, one of Jesus' close followers, understood this as well. And he wrote these words. He said, the evil one is on the prowl seeking someone, anyone, to devour. Folks, I'm ashamed to say this, but there are some times when I get really discouraged because of something that isn't going quite right here at the church. It might be some initiative we have or something with volunteers or something else, and I'll just have like this discouragement of like, you know, where, why aren't we moving? Why aren't we going in a certain direction? And sometimes the discouragement just isn't with me, but, you know, some other leaders, and we're like, man, why aren't we moving in such a way? And it's interesting to me that many times when I'm feeling this, I'll get a little prompting from the Holy Spirit that will say, you realize there's an opposition. Uh, like you, you realize that there is an evil one. That, that out of all the wonderful people that are in the jar, who have wonderful hearts and who long to give, that there is somebody that is trying to stand in the way of that and not allow you to progress because the truth is there are cosmic conflicts that are happening and waging war in the spiritual realm and you and I need to be ready uh, and so my question for this is this are you ready to do your part in the spiritual battle because the reality is there is one the question simply is are you ready to be a part of it Paul goes on to say these words he says therefore Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. What I'd like you to do, if you have your program, you can circle this, or if you're on the app, uh, you can just go ahead and highlight it. But I'd like you to highlight this, word, this phrasing, 
when the day of what? Evil. When the day of evil comes. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, just last month in El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, or Dayton, Ohio, we had two mass shootings where 31 people were just gunned down in cold blood. There's global terrorism that's happening. There's there's racism in our country and throughout the world. There are shootings in some of our big cities like Chicago and Philadelphia and other places. And, and when I see all of this news, I think to myself, I think the days of evil are actually upon us. You ever turn on the news before and you look at it and then you wonder, like, like, is God winning this thing? Like, are we winning? But then Ephesians 6.18 tells me that this is what I should think when I have those thoughts. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Paul says, don't just sit there and complain on the sidelines and get sucked in to all of the fear, but pray about it. Actually lift up some requests to God and pray for peace to come. It's not to complain. It's not to be consumed by fear, but to pray that that God really does want to come and bring peace to our troubled world. Now, our road trip is uh, over, and before we pull back here to the Civic Theater, I want to share with you just one eternal truth. Folks, it is very true that there is a cosmic battle that is going on. It's not against flesh and blood, but there are powers that are there. Don't think that it's not. For about up until my mid-20s, I didn't think evil really existed. I just thought people made bad choices. But I finally realized that, no, 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 there is one. And one of Jesus' disciples said, but when you know that this battle is going on, I want to give you some encouragement, some hope. And it's in these words from John who says this, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That greater is Jesus who is in us than he that is in the world. He says, don't worry if you think we're outnumbered because we're not. He says, don't worry if you think we might lose the battle because we're not. We already know how this thing ends. Jesus returns and Christ and his followers win. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And that's our rock and that's what we're standing on. And as I'm standing on it, I want you to please stand as well. Let's stand. And this is what I'd like you to think about, is that with our four stops, I have a feeling that the Holy Spirit might be saying to you, there's one of these is the reason why you came to church today. So for some of you, maybe it's the bar 
at a stop one. The reality is you've been just wondering to yourself lately, am I drinking a little too much? I mean, there was a time when you were able to kind of handle your alcohol, but now it's like it's kind of out of control or you're using prescription drugs in ways and you're concerned about. And every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock at our office, we have Celebrate Recovery where there are other people that are dealing with different things, different hurts, habits, hang-ups. And they're like, hey, you know what? I'm dealing with some stuff too, so why don't you just come and we can work on it together and we can talk about it and we can help one another. And there's no judgment, no one saying anything to you about why you're there, no putting you on the spot, just a way for you to be at a safe place. Now for others of you, maybe it's kind of our stop too, the concert hall. The reality is you're always in your head. You think about things all the time, what you're doing next. Some of you right now, honestly, you're already thinking that right now, like what's next? And if you're not careful, You'll live the rest of your life like that and you'll not have a moment where you think, you know what, I just want to be in the presence of God. I want my heart to be touched by God. And so for some of you, maybe you would start that discipline. I think it would do you well to pick a song for this kind of season of your life and just to listen to it over and over again so that your heart is softened and open to you. For others of you, maybe it's stop three your house. The reality is in your house there's a lot of chaos, conflict, and it's because nobody ever wants to lay down their rights and their privileges. Everybody just wants their own rights. I want my own thing. And what if you chose today that from now on when I walk in there, whether it's putting up a sign like I have to do or maybe you have something better, that you'd say, you know what, I'm going to submit to the people the other side of this. It'd be amazing to see what would happen in your home. If you went in the workplace and you did this, what would that environment, what if as a church we just said, hey, every single one of us, we're going to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then finally is kind of our fourth stop, this image of a spiritual battle. Some of you are going through some real tough stuff right now. And the reality is it's a spiritual battle. It's not about the money or lack of money. It's not about, you know, uh, your job or no job. It's not about what's going on. There's like a battle going on. And God's calling you to lift up prayer and to pray and to seek His face. And I'm telling you, that battle will never be won without the power of prayer. You've got to pray. So I don't know which picture it is, why God brought you here today, but I have a feeling there's one of those four that you're like, yep, that's the one I need to work on. And the reason why many of us never do that is because we get consumed with fear. And we just say, well, I can't change, or I don't want to change, or I'm worried if I'll change, no one else in the family will change, so I just won't do that. But today, what we really want to do is close out our Thrive series, walking out this door, thriving by realizing that we are no longer slaves to 
fear. 